You know you're a surveyor when you feel compelled to ask somebody about the length of their lease on their flat. You're not alone, my friend. Welcome to The Surveyor Hub with me, Marion Ellis. In this episode, I speak with Jen Lehman, co-founder of Property Elite. We talk about how she got started in her career, setting up her own business, and importantly, what it takes to become a chartered surveyor. If you love these podcasts, then please do rate, review, and follow. It makes all the difference to spread the word about the Surveyor Hub and the work we do as surveyors. So welcome to the podcast today, Jen Lehman. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, good stuff. And we're recording this in August because uh, I'm really organized and I schedule them in advance. I, I, not always, let, let's face it. When I did the first, earlier seasons one and two, I was literally hand to mouth, week to week, get this thing out. I'm now being more organized and my kids are back in school post lockdown, but we're recording this in uh, in August and you just had delivery of your new book. Yes, I have, which uh, I had two hardbacks earlier this week and the full pile of um, paperbacks. So it was just so exciting to see it finally in print. Love it, love it. I want to ask you lots about your book as we go through today. But first of all, for those who don't know you, I mean, I know lots of people out there will know Property Elite, but tell us a little bit about about yourself and the kind of work that you do. What flavour of surveyor are you? Yeah, so... um, I guess technically my training and all my work before Property Elite was as a commercial property surveyor. I ended up specialising in landlords and tenant work. So I've done lots and lots of rent reviews, lease renewals, advising on purchases, sales, leasing, letting, pretty much anything for retailers, industrial occupiers and landlords. And then obviously that developed um, and I still do some proper surveying work however you want to term it alongside coaching and training so it's a a beautiful mix now a beautiful mix oh I love it it. (laughs) when you talk about landlord and tenant though to be honest my eyes glaze over (laughs) (laughs) Um, so apologies if I drifted off there how did you get into that though what were your influences when you were at school and how do you end up in doing that kind of work okay so originally I went to um, the University of Bath to uh, study sports science had this great idea, loved science, loved sport, went and started the degree and got about a year in and just went, it's not for me. Absolutely hated it. Hated being a student, literally just wasn't for me. So, you know, took the decision, maybe brave at the time to drop out and just thought, well, you know, I want to do something. And actually all I wanted to do was work, you know, and obviously find a career, but I just wanted to do a job. That's really interesting, Jen, because... There's a lot of surveyors that I come across who are what we call mature. Mm. Uh, and I, w- I was, i.e., you're not 18. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a mature surveyor. I went to, uh, had a, an interesting route, took some time out before I went back to um, the Institute uh, where I did my degree in, uh, in, in North Wales. But university and that kind of study is not for everyone. Nope. <laughs> no, not. So I think by the end, I was probably doing more part time work than I was. Mm. university work so it was a, a natural progression and but you know I kind of sat there and thought well you know what do I want to do and the, the 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 main influence I guess was my dad and my granddad so both surveyors 
uh, growing up, going around in the summer holidays, um, my dad would pack us up in the car and we'd go around shopping centres. He managed shopping centres for landlords. So I think by the age I was 16, I'd probably seen every single big shop, every big and small shopping centre in the country. We've been abroad to some and I guess it just never, you know, when you're younger, you kind of go, oh, I don't want to do what my parents do and you, mm-hmm. you resist. And I just went, oh, dad does, you know, he gets to travel. He likes people. He's got a nice work balance. He plays sport. I love property and it's everything that's around you. So that was the decision. So I got, I went and applied to um, University of the West of England, got into their uh, day release course at first uh, and did property management and investing and obviously needed a job to go alongside it. So I did that. I don't know if it's old fashioned thing now, but I wrote maybe a hundred letters to every single firm I could find in. Bristol, Bath, anywhere. I think maybe I had, I don't know, maybe three or four responses. You know, lots of people said, you know, great to hear you're doing this, but maybe you're too fresh, you know, to, to, to be part of what we're doing. But I had um, two interviews. One I didn't get was a great confidence boost and the other I got. So I had a four day a week job working for a self-employed surveyor in Bristol. And I guess it started from started from there. Wow. Um, Can I ask you, how long ago was that? Uh, I think I was t- 19 or, no, I think I must have been 20 actually. So I must have been two years at Bath, dropped out, and then at 20 went and got the job and started the new course, I think 2008. Yeah, because things have moved on forward since then when it comes to sending out letters. <laughs> <laughs> and, Massively. And, and part of me was thinking, you look a lot younger than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's an interesting point because on the one hand, you do need to know how to write a good letter. Mm. I think a lot of surveyors, many surveyors do, you know, to write a good letter to introduce yourself and and do it the formal way. But it's pretty hard for people trying to find position, that first job, you know, the graduate jobs, the mentoring, the shadowing. It's hard for people to find it. And letters just don't cut it anymore. And obviously nobody goes into offices anymore. Mm. I mean, they weren't doing that before the pandemic but even more so now what do you think about social media and, and students I know you've got quite an active Facebook mm. and, and you use all the different social media channels you've got a podcast I think as well and you know yeah. you various bits but how do you think social media has changed things for for the youngsters I, I think massively you know definitely my first job when I moved roles into a, a bigger corporate there I you know there was no I don't remember there being any corporate social media and only in the last few years has it become, I don't know, has it become acceptable almost in big, big, small brands having a, like a more personal presence online and, you know, employees or, or, you know, running your own company to have something that, I don't know, it's that bringing that you at work to that you personally closer together. And I think social media is that, it bridges that gap between your work life and your personal life. And 100% there's a place for it. I think places like um, the Surveyor Hub, it's it's that part that, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, you would have gone down to the pub on a Friday afternoon or you would have gone out with colleagues or you would have gone out with, I don't know, APC candidates that worked in the office next to you. But yeah, people aren't in the offices I don't know, people have lost the confidence to do it. So having a presence online where you can meet somebody in the next town, you know, who actually is within face-to-face distance, I think 100% social media has a place, but maybe that's alongside, 
I don't know, a, a formal approach to show that you can do that side of things is, well, you know, if you make a contact with somebody online, maybe it's after that, that then you do that letter or email, although saying that emails, you know, people get hundreds and hundreds. How do you stop yours from getting lost? So if you meet somebody beforehand, even if it is online, so I'll send you an email. Yeah, a combination of the two seems to maybe make more sense. It's it's a different, uh, it's very, it's blended. It's a blended approach, yeah. isn't it? And it's interesting. One of the things I've learned over the last two years or so with the Surveyor Hub is that we need to learn how to talk to each other. And we need to learn how to talk to each other when we're commenting on posts. And I see that not just in the Surveyor Hub. I see it on LinkedIn. You know, somebody will invariably once a week, once a fortnight, post something. Is it trolling? Not really, but it, it, aggressive sometimes. Mm. I delete it or I, or I respond to it depending on my mood and, and how <laughs> You know, but then I do get some people message me and say, oh, I'm sorry if that came across, you know, really rude. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way I wrote it. And you think, well, don't. Be kind and, and think about your approach because, you know, just because it's quick to write a quick reply, it's remembering how it can come across for, to people. And and in this world of technology and not being in the office now, we've got to learn how to interact with people in a different way, be it social media, you know, mm posts or even zoom you know i mean i'm yeah. sat, sat now recording uh, this podcast you seem really happy about it but i <laughs> but i you know you know trying to read body language you know and how, how somebody is nervous or not you know yeah. that make a difference and i think particularly for younger surveyors and i by that i mean new people into the to the industry you know it takes some gut actually oh, possibly say, i need some help with this or I haven't got a mentor. I haven't got somebody to help me. Um, I'm totally outside the industry and I'm really trying to be really brave and have a new career and and just that bit of encouragement and support. And I see it in the Surveyor Hub sometimes, mm. a bit of a reality check of actually we're all really busy. You know, we can't just come and shad- let you shadow a mentor us. But equally, you know, here's some practical stuff that you can do. Yeah. And, and really get uh, get engaged. One of the things I, I think... Uh, surveyors trainee surveyors should be doing is being more visible and you talked about that introduction yeah and uh, being visible on social media I think is really really important you know it's use it as a tool there's a a great Instagram account and I can't remember the lady's name who runs it she's studying to be a surveyor and every day or every other day she posts pictures of her laptop (laughs) <laughs> you know because you can get out and do inspections and, and and shadow people you know but sharing that journey is so important yeah you know you're right yeah even if somebody's asking can I come and shadow you could you mentor me that that person can go look at their Instagram can look at their LinkedIn can see I don't know a, a really good LinkedIn profile tells you a lot about a person um and even even if it's just one more window into what they might be like in it puts that person at the front of the line not you know as you said everybody is so busy and if somebody captures the attention and that personal link of somebody wanting to help because let's face it everybody's willing to help and if somebody puts their hands up and asks for help everybody wants to help it's just finding the way that that need can be met in the right way and when you find a way that it can be met both sides get a hell of a lot from it and I think that's the key that it's got to be the right I don't know the right support in the right time in the right place almost yeah it's got to be the right fit 
you know, yeah. not every surveyor has mentored or managed people before. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, have you ever no, been no, thrown into this? Have you ever been a line manager in that in that way? Uh, yeah, in my latter years in my last proper non-self-employed role, we had a little team in our department that, you know, I'd supervise and mentor in. It's really difficult. And I think those are skills that I've learned in the last couple of years, you know, doing the mentoring that we do. And, you know, maybe it comes with a few more gray hairs and having that confidence to do it. And it's a skill that as surveyors, I think people get thrown into it rather than being trained into it. And it can be really scary. You know, we talk about soft skills, but actually Mm. really, really hard skills. Yeah. You can learn all the surveying stuff you want out of a book. And yet you can get a bit of experience if you go around the old house or, you know, commercial building or two. Mm. But soft skills requires you actually embracing who you are, the way that you do it. And and in my book, they're really hard. And not, yeah, you know what? Not, yeah, not everybody can, can do it. And not everybody is supported to do it. No. It's funny you say that about hard and soft skills because... Um, so when I'm reviewing some of our candidates' APC submissions, they have the mandatory competencies that traditionally you think of as soft skills. And every time I go to write soft skills, I stop myself and go, I don't know, it kind of places a lesser importance on things like being a good communicator or, you know, even building like a relationship with a client. You know, that can be, you know, there's different power, there's different, how do you make a relationship like that work? You know, if you've got somebody that, works for you that you're mentoring how do you I don't know put yourself on an even playing field so that you both I don't know you can learn a lot from other people not just somebody else learning from you yeah but you know that that same um, piece then goes into how we interact with our clients how you communicate and how you nurture a relationship with the client is vital and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I come from the, the, the resi side of things where there's less project management, I guess. But on project management, you could see how that would be really useful and vital to get the team together and to get things, mm. things happening and the client on board. But residential can be quite transactional. You yeah. I do a report. I'll answer some questions if I have to. <laughs> uh, you know, well, actually, it's really about the relationship and the eking out that relationship making it longer less transactional and getting paid properly for it but that's you know the the answer to a lot of claims that people have you just remember mm. that there's a person at the at the end of it and it's not that transactional and emotional piece of work yeah massively i suppose as well for residential surveyors actually the property that somebody's going to inspect isn't well it's not owned by the client most of the time is it if it's a home survey or a building survey so the actual opportunity to meet especially at the moment to meet with interact with your client it's got to be so minimal so surely it's those I don't know whenever I'm trying to mentor people it's like that phone call before and that phone call after it's and that's probably why they add the real value to that personal part not just the bit they write down on paper if that's yeah and you know if we're learning we need to learn to talk to each other better on a text message or on comment we certainly need to learn to do that much better on a phone call you know, yeah you zoom you know mm. actually, there's no reason why you can't meet your clients yeah really you know we don't like to and yes they might get in the way and you know whatever ever reasons or excuses we give if we really wanted to. And I know surveyors who who do that and include that in, in, in part of their work. You mentioned APC, mentoring and training. Tell me a bit about how you went from this 
proper surveyor, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute, <laughs> being a proper surveyor and setting up property elite and, and getting involved in training and coaching. Mm. So uh, originally when I left my last corporate role, um, the intention was to set up, well, eventually set up a surveying practice, which we did and still run. And for various reasons, we ended up setting Property Elite. But the idea for that, I remember when I passed my APC, and I always think that the day you pass is like, it, it's the pinnacle of your surveying life. You you know, you know, you feel you know everything and, you know, you know where to look, all of those things. And I just thought, there's no, there's no real resource out there or, I don't know, single one place where I would have gone. I kind of collected all my own notes together. And I just thought, I've, there was an idea there and it was, Frankly, it was too soon and I wanted nothing to do with education for a while, as most people do. But then when I left my last role and we were setting up the firm, I kind of thought, well, maybe this is the time that, you know, it takes time to build a business. So why don't we just give this other idea a go? You know, it doesn't, to launch a business like that, it, you know, it doesn't need an amazing amount of capital. It was a website that I've built and I still, you know, do all the website myself. And it kind of went from there and slowly we kind of went this is actually really working and then maybe the split between our time of you know doing direct surveying work to training just kept going down we kept on doing more and more mentoring and actually maybe I don't know in enjoying it more in a way for the just the variety of um variety of work so it was a an idea that was never really meant to be <laughs> in a weird way and actually when I and I did left. I did um, a year of uh, lecturing at UE. So I went back in. I was module leader on a couple of modules within a couple of the courses. And actually that kind of made me go, I quite like the teaching aspect, but my desire to go into somewhere and teach all the time, and now I've actually moved away from there, just wouldn't have worked out. So the way we do it remotely is it's spot on. You said you know everything at that point of APC. You know everything, but you don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sort of pick up on that. I think it's a really interesting point because you are right at that point. You know where all the documents are. You know what the code of conduct and ethics are. You know what you should do if someone turns up with a carrier bag of cash and wants to <laughs> yeah. pay, for your, pay for your services. You know everything, but you don't know <laughs> you don't know anything. You do, you don't know how to you use it all. It's that that life and lived experience, and I find that I find that interesting. So I used to be an APC assessor, and you would see um, some sub- trainee surveyors, you know, candidates come in, and the arrogance, you know, particularly if they came from certain corporates. I swear they were wearing the same suit. They all had the same look of fear. And yes, they knew they knew their stuff. But what mm. I used to always look for is, you know, do you know your professional boundaries? Oh. You know, what what confidence, sort of that inner confidence, do you have? Mm. Are you okay with asking somebody for help? And are you okay in this interview saying, I don't know the answer to that, but this is what I would do? And so you know everything, but that personal development is really key I think mm. and that you invest okay you've invested in time and money and I know how hard it is to get the APC I did it part-time I would have lost my home the month after had I not passed and then got oh. paid I know how hard it can be 
But that personal development is something that if there was one thing I could change in my career was that I invested in that or somebody invested in me to help me with that. Oh, God. Yeah, completely. And maybe, I don't know, when I started my second role, that's actually the point where I, so the lady who employed me is my now business partner, Rachel. And actually looking back, maybe I didn't know it at the time, she mentored me and you know, she was an advocate for me in what we did. And actually without that, I don't think I would have become the person in the sphere I am because, you know, not that she, you know, gave me, I don't mean that she gave me opportunities that other people didn't get, but she, you know, said, here's something to go and do. Here's an opportunity and let me go and succeed if that makes sense, but gave me the support to do it. So I think having probably going back to what we said before, building a relationship with a person that you connect with and that can build you and pull you through. I never would have left and set up what we were doing because I didn't have the life experience to do it. And I think, you know, part of that is that if you do it with somebody you trust and has the life experience, actually you end up doing it a lot better almost. So I think that yeah, having having somebody to champion you, a hundred percent, that's can help with that personal development piece. And that then leads us into talking about you know mentoring and role models, and are they enough uh, enough people out there? And I think sometimes people can get a bit confused over what mentoring actually is. That you know, there's the mentoring that gets you through the APC, the technical stuff that you might need to to ask. But you you're right; it's life experience. And that's where perhaps the surveyors, you know, for some of us who are a bit more mature or start, you know, life uh, as a surveyor a bit a bit later, <coughs> is that we do bring that level of maturity to what we do. Yeah. And again, you know, I speak from the, the residential side, but, you know, when you walk into someone's home, you walk into their life, what's and all. Yeah. And this is a topic that raises its head occasionally in the, in the surveyor hub of you walk into a home and you see something mm. you can't unsee it we had um a really unfortunate post uh, a year or so ago about a toilet and it was a, i think i remember this yeah toilet gate um <coughs> and you know a surveyor you know posted a picture of a basically a disgusting bathroom you know then the the stories came out of yeah i got fleas today after being in a house or you know this happened and that happened and and some people got quite offended saying you shouldn't show pictures like that it's not professional but you've got to process that you've got to digest that you know yeah I've been into homes where literally it's like war of the roses when people are getting divorced I've been in homes with people with mental health challenges I've been in a home with a surveyor where we came back out and had a discussion about whether we needed to call social services in the NSPCC you know doesn't happen every day but it does happen and you need to process that and the problem with us all working in isolation and not having the Mm. option is that we don't process that and if you've come you know from life green (laughs) into it can be it can be quite a, a shock you know, and it can affect how you then approach your your work, you know, and, and the decisions that you make. And you've got to be got to be really comfortable as a surveyor. And that's why I think that that personal development 
piece is so important, just that knowing yourself. Yeah. You know, I think as surveys, maybe a lot of the time we, I don't know, we, you know, if we're going to do reports for a commercial client or a corporate client, rather than real people, real individuals, we can kind of hide behind the work or behind the report rather than, yeah, there are, you know, shocking things we'll see and experiences that we need to deal with. And it's, so my wife, Frankie's a chiropractor. And when patients go into her clinic, you know, it's sometimes she ends up, I don't know, more as a counsellor than a practitioner. And I think really for surveyors going to somebody's house, it's no different. And being able to share those experiences and, you know, reflect and how did I react? How would you have reacted? And getting a guide for that, it's all part of, it's all part of the learning curve, isn't it? And I don't know if you see something similar in future and you make you know, the the decision that's right and it helps somebody out, it can only be a good thing. So I think that having a play, a safe space for surveyors to talk about it because, yeah, we're not down the pub having a chat over a drink talking about, I saw this, etc. That has to be a good thing. And that's probably why it's a good thing that it's a, there are closed groups, there's places for people to share those things because if we can't... <laughs> And and I think, you know, it's just the power of knowing that those places are available. Mm, you know, whether completely. it's you set up your own WhatsApp group, whether it's Facebook group, at Lionheart yeah. know, is a great, uh, you know, I'm a, an ambassador for Lionheart. Whilst I coach people, mentor people, I always refer them to Lionheart in the in the first Yeah. Place. But it's a resource for people to to get support and, and to get sort of connected uh, uh, where they can. So yeah, it's um, but you know there are you know we say we say all of this, and anybody who's not quite a surveyor might be terrified right now. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't <Not> be bad, <laughs> but I think there needs to be a, a reality check, doesn't there? Well, yeah, and I think you know I know that in a fair good few of the mentoring sessions or calls I've done, there's always somebody who goes, "I've got this problem and I can't talk about it at work either because I don't want to look stupid." you know, I don't know what to do if I've done the right thing. And actually it's that going back to what is mentoring, it's just being there for somebody else to ask the questions to, and often they figure it out on their own with a bit of guiding and some um, questions and just taking that one step further. So much of it and about what is right and wrong is just about your gut. And like, I think I've heard you say it before in a podcast maybe, or, or something like that it's just, does it, does it feel right? And if it doesn't feel right, that's, I don't know, that's where you get your RICS ethics decision tree. And then you have a, you know, a nice path to go, well, why doesn't it feel right? And then you can do the right thing. But I think, yeah, just thinking out loud, that that gut feeling of, is it right or wrong is there? It is. And even though you might have a decision tree on a piece of paper, of what yeah. you, do, you know, sometimes you've you know, got to have the courage mm. to call something out you've got to have the you know be aware of the implications yeah you know if you take action and the, and the consequences of of what might happen and being able to do that knowing that you did the, the right thing and so trusting you've been able to trust your gut instinct absolutely important and yet we we don't but it's going to be exercised you know, yeah. it's, it's, got to be, it's got to be exercise. You've got to be in tune with these things. And it sounds a bit faffy, you know, but it's a muscle that needs to be exercised. Mm. And yeah, massively. 
uh, and to check in with yourself and even things like you know in the coaching that I do with people is to help them work out their values in the, in the small business programs that I run it always features early on you know what's important to you in terms of where are you spending your time energy and money mm. important to you you know and people will always say well you know health and family is really important so you've got gym membership and you talk about work-life balance except you're working 24 7 and you never go to that gym <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so just because you should you think you should be doing something generally people people don't and it's being honest with yourself that you know some other things matter mm. okay but at least Jen you you know I want to ask you about this uh, being a proper surveyor mm. because uh, I went through a similar thing and we uh, both got our fellowships in the same yeah year something like that isn't it I think you joined my little Facebook group that I set yeah. up <laughs> you were already on your on your journey I think because I when I did my fellowship application thinking am I a surveyor or not anymore have I moved so far away from what I would consider to be a proper job giving the valuation <laughs> advice and property defect advice and dealing with the claims have I come so far away from it am I a surveyor anymore? And I didn't really think I was a proper surveyor, but I'm so over myself now that I'm a proper <laughs> surveyor. Because in doing that, the um, that sort of uh, the submission, I went through my career and not just looked at what I'd done, but also what I was going to do. And that's the thing about mm. It's not just another tick in the box. It's hard to earn. I mean, it's not as as uh, stressful as an APC interview but it's hard harder to achieve and there's a good reason why but it's thinking about the future as well and mm. no point in getting your fellowship if you're not going to do anything with it definitely you know quite quite simply in, in in my view but tell me a bit more about this being a proper surveyor or not well it's you know what actually so I think what you said about the fellowship application so in my mind, I think a proper surveyor is somebody who does, is what I used to do, you know, surveying for clients day in, day out. But if I was do, still doing that same thing now, I don't think I'd have my fellowship because so many of those fellowship characteristics are not your jobbing, typical day-to-day surveyor roles. They're all of those extra things that you do. So if being, if having your F um, then doesn't make you a proper surveyor because you're not doing day-to-day work, that just doesn't make any sense so I think it's you know when I was doing the lecturing work does that make me a lecturer and I thought I don't want my identity you know for people to think oh she's a lecturer she's not a surveyor anymore and doing the training yeah keep you know I became a surveyor because I wanted to be a surveyor and I think it is slowly coming to that realization that probably is probably as you started uh, the podcast with there are many flavors of surveyor and we can fit in lots of different areas at once and probably if I was doing the same thing as I was five years ago now probably a bit bored yeah and I guess it's um it, it's the kind of surveyor that you are and mm. and so this this proper surveyor actually it's maybe you know maybe more typical yeah as, uh, as being a, a jobbing surveyor but the way that I look at it is, you know, I still care about, um, 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 and the reason I, I, I became a surveyor is because I believe everybody has the right to a home, a safe roof over their heads, 
an environment where you know we can thrive we can go to work very aware of sort of the whole whole built environment and I guess I got to a point where I thought me just doing surveys and dealing with defect and valuation claims you know how is that making an impact you know mm-hmm. this sort of bigger vision you know of, of, of making a difference and so the way that I view it is I do what I do I just happen to do it in the world of surveying but the way that I make an impact and make a difference is by helping others be their best and mm. that's what you, do, you know in terms of the training getting people qualified if you were doing the same job one transaction you know one client at a time then yes you make an impact you know over over years but the yeah. ripple effect of you helping people get qualified yeah. and they go on to help lots of other people I mean that's huge that's a massive ripple effect yeah you're right and it's that well I think I find there's a lot more satisfaction now you know so there's so much more I don't know personal thanks and you're helping real people and the impact of somebody getting qualified or finding a new job like you know my god the, the impact sometimes on their lives is massive but I think what you just said it is kind of leaving a legacy and somebody else you know being able to help lots of people and I don't know if this goes a bit deep but yeah what what is the purpose of what I do and how does that what impact do I have on the world and actually yeah it might just be in surveying but if it gets more people in the industry to do things they love and to preserve our beautiful historic buildings or to build new ridiculous skyscrapers or to get people homes they need for me that as a legacy to help you know preserve that I'm happy with that we talk about work-life balance which always annoys me because that assumes that you're balancing something and there's always something that's going to be off let's face it and I I talk to people about work-life integration and and being who you are Mm. and I think it's okay as a surveyor to say, I want to make a difference in the world. Mm. Frankly, my job is boring. <laughs> and and that's where, you know, where I think that personal development and coaching can really help and say, well, what mm. do you enjoy? Yeah. You absolutely love spreadsheets. My friend Maria is just like a spreadsheet <laughs> queen and she can do amazing things in the world of surveying with spreadsheets. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, but equally, you know, who'd have thought I'd have been doing a podcast a few years ago? You know, I'd have been laughed at. Some people may be laughing right now at me doing a podcast. But it's the way that you, you're able to make an impact in the world. And coming back to understanding who you are and what you do and why. And, what, and actually mm. what you like and what you love to do and what you absolutely hate to do. Yeah. You know, it's not... It, not the truth that you can't do what you like and love and earn money and, and make a difference you know yeah. I, I these days I see some stereotypes sort of being broken down mm. I was to what what does a modern surveyor look like yeah <laughs> you know uh, and we've still got this sort of image in some in, in people's minds of some old bloke in tweed mm. you know Maybe tweed will come back in fashion. I don't know. Maybe I quite like a bit of tweed. <laughs> Jacket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I've got one, actually. I got one in the sale in jewels last year. But, uh, you know, but we've got these stereotypes. But And I guess that's really then hard when you've got an institution like the RICS, mm. a global institution, over 130,000 members. 
I remember being in a conversation with with one of the the the, the managers there a, a couple of years ago, and they said they've got something like over 170 different types of job titles and surveyors. Enormous. Who are registered globally? Surveying um, isn't a word that's used elsewhere in the world. No, that's a good point. You think of land land surveyors and the whole tripods and and that yeah, all. engineers. I think yeah. as well. Yeah, I often get. Yeah, but but we're all there to make a difference to the way that we live, and those are the things that we really need to to hang on. So talking about impact and making a, a difference, tell me about your book. How did that come about? What made you <sighs> want to write a book? Oh, did I ever really want to write a book? Uh, <laughs> Um, so I think part of it came from the original idea that I had, when I passed my APC, I had all these notes and just thought, I've got all of these, but I don't know what to do with them. And actually they, they don't form any part of this book, but it kind of just gave me that little bug in the back of my brain that said, there's probably an idea in there to put something on paper as a bit of a, bit of a legacy or something in print. And then I did a bit of research and looked the, I think the last book before this might have been ooh, 10 years ago. So there's nothing really out there that fitted the gap for something to do with the APC. But then so many of the questions that I was being asked weren't really about the APC, were just how do I come become a chartered surveyor? And there's so, I think what I found, it's not just that graduate, it's your mature student who's a carpenter who's doing more and more work and wants to become a residential surveyor or I don't know a finance administrator who does service charge work and wants to become a so you know there's so many different things and actually the uh, the book was a really nice way to put all of my knowledge and all there's lots of different sources out there but there's not one thing to go well you know what do I do and things like t-levels being brought in you know people thinking about when they do a degree is it RICS accredited or not things like the senior professional route, the academic route, and just raising awareness that lots of different people can be a surveyor. And this kind of hopefully distills a lot of the knowledge that people ask me into a nice one space to go and have a look at, at a, you know, and to be honest, at a reasonable price that somebody can go away and read. Um, and I think the other tiny reason, um, we do lots of work with candidates from. Africa, Middle East, loads of different places. And actually, maybe in some parts of Africa, the ability to pay for support can be quite difficult. So even having something that, you know, is a low cost way of saying, here's some advice, go away and read it. I think it's quite a useful tool to have as a, here's some help that you can access. Yeah, it's making it more accessible to people to be able to digest and just like there's so many different types of surveyors there's so many different routes oh it was impossible to write in a way because I kind of mapped it out and then when you start writing it you go but there's this and there's that and trying to structure it all that was probably the most difficult once I started writing I don't know the actual whole writing process maybe took maybe about two months and I found that quite easy but just getting it all that logical structure that was challenging yeah I can't I can't see myself ever writing a book never know <laughs> yeah you never know <laughs> you never know when, when there's a word there's a will in a way yeah so what's coming up next for you then we've had this difficult pandemic year 18 months you know I mean actually how did you find that for your business Ooh. did that make much of a difference yeah. 
I think in a way furlough focused a lot of people's minds on getting qualified because uh, you could still do training when on furlough and or people just went well I've got time to study so if I haven't started I'm going to start or if I'm going to take it I'm just going to sit it during that period so actually we've been really busy which was um a bit of a life save because again I think if we were doing just normal surveying work for retail clients I might be twiddling my fingers slightly more so yeah I think we've had a really really busy time I think the next next year next few years is building on that we do a lot more support for senior professionals now and I think that's a real area that I know my business partner Rachel really she really enjoys that aspect so, of the so work. These, these are people who've been <coughs> working in the industry already yeah, so they um, they might be managers, they might be a property director, they might be like a finance director who has a property team. So they're yeah, they're more your more senior management type candidates. And yeah, I think carrying on the work we do, I think there might be a second book in there somewhere, but I haven't quite got the haven't quite got what it's going to be yet. But I, this might be a bit strange, but I always find um, I love cycling. If I'm not working, I'll be on my bike and actually just sometimes I find I'll go out a couple of hours and that's when the idea for something like the book, the name for the business, all of those things, that's always when I have the uh, good ideas. So that might have to be some good time spent. Getting out of your head, especially doing physical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, it's been really lovely to catch up with you today and to uh, uh, find out a bit more about your career and your business. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for uh, having me. Super. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find the show notes and links to any guests and resources we've mentioned today on the website lovesurveying.com. And don't forget to show your support by buying me a coffee or you can rate, review and follow the podcast on your usual podcast platform. It really does make a difference and helps spread the word and reach a wider audience of surveyors who just love what they do. See you next time.